And here in Revelation 12, uh, John gives us uh, the cosmic perspective, uh, really uh, the highest view uh, that one can have of the origins of the warfare that we find ourselves in uh, from its beginning to where we are now in salvation history. John, writing in chapter 12, uh, verse, beginning in verse 1 of Revelation, writes, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head is seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them down to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell on earth, but woe to you, O earth, and see, for the devil has come to you in great wrath, because he comes, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to help the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the stand of the sea. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, as we continue our study of spiritual warfare, help us to remember we do not wage war against flesh and blood, but uh, against powers and principalities uh, that are over this present darkness. May we never forget we do have a very real enemy in Satan and the demonic forces. But may we never forget that the battle is not between equals. The, the forces of darkness are not equal to you and your kingdom, for you are greater than all. 
And that because of Calvary, the victory is certain. As we study this passage, uh, may we neither underestimate nor overestimate the enemy, but may we trust more in you and reply, rely upon the strength that you give us for the battle at hand. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Here John uh, gives us really the origins uh, of uh, the spiritual warfare. Uh, the enemy with his desire to undermine the plan of God. Uh, notice uh, the third, second sign he is given in this vision. Uh, it, it concerns the origins of the spiritual warfare. Uh, this dragon who he makes clear is the ancient serpent, the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, who deceived Adam and Eve. The very one who tempted uh, Jesus in the garden, uh, the one we have uh, spent uh, these past several weeks studying, this one is the one uh, who led a great rebellion against God in the heavens. And that is why in this vision, uh, verse 4, John says that his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Uh, what John is seeing there in this apocalyptic vision is the origin of Satan and the fallen angels, uh, the origin of Satan and those demonic forces that we have to do with, those forces uh, that constantly accosted Jesus in his earthly ministry. Now, I think it's important uh, that uh, we remember the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we want to try to understand uh, things that the Scripture obviously doesn't think we need to know. You know, we don't know what was going through Satan's head uh, before his fall, what led him to his rebellion against God. Uh, there has been no shortage of ink spilled on that. But well, we can understand the basic sin behind it. It, it was pride uh, and foolishness. Because pride is foolishness, having an overly high opinion of oneself. Uh, Satan uh, clearly thought uh, that he could stand on the throne, that the creation could overthrow the Creator. But what we see here in the devil's works is that from the beginning, the enemy has opposed the plans and purposes of God for history. That's why the enemy tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. That's why the enemy sought to bring about their fall, because the enemy, with his limited knowledge, you know, remember, God is omniscient. God knows everything. Satan is not. God is all-powerful. Satan is not. God is omnipresent. Satan is not. God is perfect. Satan is not. So Satan, with his limited knowledge, thought that through leading Adam and Eve to sin, he could overthrow the plan of God. That failed. And throughout the Old, Old Testament, although he's not always directly mentioned, you see the temptation of Israel to go astray, to go off the path. 
There can only be the demonic influence of the enemy at work there, seeking to destroy the work of God. And here in Revelation 12, when it speaks of this woman, uh, the woman is emblematic, representative uh, of the faithful community of Israel. And because we as believers have been engrafted in, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2, it's uh, representative of those who are faithful in Christ. Those who are faithful to God because it was from the community of the faithful, not the apostate, that the Christ child would come. And the enemy, uh, knowing uh, that God has a plan for his people concerning his son, uh, sought to destroy him. We often wonder at the Christmas story, why would Herod be so motivated to take the life of the Christ child when he gave the order to murder every male child two years and under? That's because uh, there was a cosmic warfare going on between the forces of darkness and between the kingdom of God. The forces of darkness always seek to undo the work of Christ. And so John tells us uh, that this woman was in the travail of childbirth. In verse 5, she gave birth to a male child. Christ himself, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. But it is the ascension of that male child uh, to the throne of God that signals the destruction of the enemy. In uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, after Jesus' disciples come back from uh, their ministry of casting out the demons and healing the sick, Jesus tells them... I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And many commentators are certain that Jesus is speaking in the prophetic perfect uh, that through the incoming of his kingdom, which is finalized through his death and resurrection, that Satan is fully defeated. Paul in Colossians uh, speaks of how uh, Christ has uh, uh, removed uh, the record of our transgressions and made an open triumph over the powers and principalities through his cross. You know, sometimes when we think about the cross, uh, we get tunnel vision into thinking that there's only one side of it. Uh, uh, many theologians want to argue about what, what is uh, the theory of atonement. Uh, and they all have part of it right. The atonement, Christ did die to appease the wrath of God. He is our propitiation. He takes uh, the penalty for our sin upon our, himself. There is cleansing from the cross. It is only through Jesus' uh, shed blood that we can be cleansed and made holy. But we often forget in our own day and age that Christ was a conquering king on the cross. The early church uh, uh, understood that Jesus was conquering the forces of darkness through his death on the cross. The author of Hebrews saw it plainly that he, Jesus' death was what defeated the one who had power over death. And in his ascension, Satan is thrown down from heaven, which we see in verses 7 through following. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, 
But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Now what an encouragement that is for us given the role that Satan served when he had access to heaven. We saw that this morning, how Satan in the presence of God was there to accuse Joshua the high priest. If you've read the book of Job, you know that Satan came with the sons of God to accuse Job, to tell God, Job is only serving you because he has all these possessions, because he has his health. And he lost it all, but God was vindicated and that Job remained faithful. But this one who, is, uh, who was the accuser has been thrown out. And the great dragon, verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, and this roots his defeat, in the kingdom of Christ. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. So Satan has been thrown down from heaven. No longer can Satan accuse the people of God before God. As Paul says in Romans 8, which I read this morning, who can lay any charge against God's elect? Because of Christ's death and resurrection, Satan's avenue of accusing us to God is closed. He has no access to heaven. But what he does now, rather than accusing us before the Father, he accuses us to ourselves and to each other. We often forget the schemes of the enemy. The enemy doesn't want us to feel any sense of worth in drawing near to God. The enemy only wants us to see the worst about ourselves and never wants us to see the grace of God. And so how this would work out in our lives, we can't be demonically possessed. I think that's important to remember in the area of spiritual warfare. If you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit has come into you. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks about how uh, uh, of a demon-possessed man, how if there's nothing, nobody taking occupancy in the home, uh, the demon brings back uh, seven of his friends, and the last state is worse than the first. Well, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will not cohabitate uh, with the spirits uh, that have allied themselves with Satan. The Holy Spirit uh, repels that which is holy. But you can be oppressed by Satan. Somebody doesn't have to come into your house to torment and taunt you. Somebody could stand in the middle of the street outside your house, yell at you, uh, taunt you, and uh, cause you no end of harm. They don't have to come in on your property. All they have to do is come in on earshot. So how the enemy works, and we have to remember, Satan doesn't do everything. Oftentimes you hear people say, Satan did this. Uh, it's almost as if a believer thinks Satan is omniscient. He's not. He's, I mean, omnipresent. He's not. 
Satan has other demons. So we need to be careful in ascribing omnipresence to Satan. But what the forces of darkness do is get us thinking the worst about ourselves. And how you can know that this is the work of demonic oppression leading to a sense of accusation is oftentimes the train of thought isn't the first person. You know, if you're getting down on yourself and coming under godly conviction, you'd be like, I've fallen in this way. I haven't glorified God. But how the devil works and his forces work It's always in the you. It's always in the accusatory. You've done this. You're not worthy. Have you ever found yourself in that train of thought where these thoughts about yourself are coming in the second person? You've messed up. You've sinned in this way. You blew up. You had anger. What right have you to be used of God? Look at you. You're just a failure. Why should you even pray? When that accusatory second person voice comes into your life, that's not you, that's not the Holy Spirit, that's the enemy working at your life. Because he can't go to God and accuse you. So what he does is he accuses you to yourself. Or... Uh, The enemy influences your stream of thought. So you think the worst of others. You know, think about how how much conflict comes among believers because of accusations. Baseless accusations. Did you hear that they were at such a place? Did you hear what they did? Accusing. Accusing. Harry Ironsides, a preacher in the beginning of the 20th century, said, uh, Satan is the accuser of the brothers. Leave the dirty work to him. When somebody professes to be a believer and they spend their time and their energy simply accusing other believers, they are being an instrument of Satan rather than being an instrument of righteousness. And when the enemy uses the tools of accusation, it's never with truthful, honest purposes. You know, you can use the truth in such a way and catch it in such a way that it's really a lie. You can twist it and bend it out of shape. When the enemy tries to show us who we are, it's always like going through the funhouse mirrors. It's a distorted image of who we are. And that's why he is the deceiver of the whole world. Jesus in the Gospel of John uh, uh, told the Pharisees uh, they were their father the devil, who is a liar from the beginning. He deceives the world. We wonder why there is such moral confusion in Inside the church and outside of the church, it is because there is a deceiver who has run rampant in the world. No longer does he accuse us before God, but uh, he relies upon us to accuse ourselves and accuse each other and to deceive us and to deceive each other. But he is a defeated enemy. We know that his time is short. John makes that clear. He is defeated enemy. But what happens in our lives as believers, we understand that he's a defeated enemy, and that we make the assumption that defeated means powerless and not dangerous. Something can be dead and still dangerous. Uh, 
Have you ever seen somebody chop the head off of a rattlesnake? You can chop the head off a rattlesnake and it can still bite you and inject its venom in you. It's dead. It's not going to eat anything. But it can still cause a lot of damage and even lead to death. The enemy's defeated. His head is crushed. But a defeated enemy is oftentimes a more dangerous enemy. Uh, I've read uh, stories of World War II after uh, the detonation of uh, the atomic bombs at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Before the official surrender was given, uh, the Japanese forces fought with greater intensity because they understood uh, they were getting defeated. Uh, There is desperation that comes from defeat. And so John does show us that the enemy, though defeated, is dangerous, but God is greater. He goes on. Again in verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. You know, what a glorious day that was for all those who had trusted in the promises of God that He was going to forgive their sins, who are in the Abraham of bosom. Satan's been thrown out. What a glorious day. What bad news for us. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. wonder why there's so much deception in the world. We wonder why there's so much darkness in the world. We wonder why things seem to be getting so out of control. It's because there is a defeated enemy that as each day passes, grows more desperate in his hopeless, futile attempts to overcome the kingdom of God. Well, we wonder why does it seem like persecution seems to ramp up in other countries every year? Why there's greater division and warfare in the world. It's because the devil is at work deceiving the nations. I have some fellow pastors that disagree and would say that they would argue for, you know, we're in an inaugurated eschatology and they'd say that the enemy is presently chained and that, you know, the millennium is right now. I just don't see it in history, and I don't think that that's a right reading of Scripture. You know, they go to Revelation 20, and they say, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain, and he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years was ended." After that, he must be released for a little while. Now, there are some uh, that want to argue uh, that, uh, for a position called all millennialism that says uh, that the millennium began uh, with the resurrection of Christ and that Satan is bad and he's not deceiving the nations. I'm not convinced. 
I don't think that there is any better explanation for the world and the condition that it is in than that there is a very real devil and his forces at work in the world to deceive, divide, and destroy. Who wants nothing more than to destroy the community of the faithful. Uh, the, the devil's problem, the enemy's problem, was never with those that apostatized. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, you can't imagine that Satan had any problem with uh, Jews who would offer up their children in sacrifice to Molech or Baal uh, that would commit any atrocity. The enemy always hates the faithful remnant. God is greater. We, we, we see that in uh, verses 13 through following. Uh, the enemy uh, making attacks at the woman and the faithful. The enemy saw that he had been thrown down to the earth. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. Then he goes on in verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. The enemy is at war with those who hold to the commands of Jesus who are faithful to God. You know, if you're not in earnest... You know, the enemy has no problem with those who claim to be Christians aren't. Yeah, you know, I, I think of uh, those, uh, you know, in the 1960s, uh, there was argument for uh, the death of God movement in some churches. Uh, Christless Christianity. It's really just atheism, uh, wearing the mask of Christianity. The enemy has no problem with that. Enemy has no problem if you are entirely happy to conform your beliefs and your way of life to the world. In fact, the enemy would love nothing more than to accuse you and bully you into compromising your beliefs. You know, I, I think that's part of the reason why we live in a culture uh, where there is so much accusation against uh, the people of God, the, those who hold to a biblical view of anything. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not going to become easier to be a follower of Christ. The enemy is going to ramp up the spiritual warfare. And I think it's important to remember, Paul brings this up in Corinthians uh, uh, regarding the false apostles. He says even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, We need to be aware that oftentimes uh, the enemy's uh, best tools are those who disguise themselves as Christians. You know, we live in a country uh, that would still majority say it's Christian. Yet if we look at the actual beliefs and the actual practices of the majority in our country, it would be, uh, we could not conclude uh, that the majority is Christian. If the majority of our country was a biblically committed follower of Christ, well, we wouldn't have a Sanctity of Life Sunday. We wouldn't need it. Life would be cherished. If uh, the majority of our country was uh, committed followers of Christ, we wouldn't have things like no-fault divorce. 
if the majority of our country was filled with committed Christians, uh, we wouldn't have state after state with foster care crisis, uh, with uh, more children in their systems than they know what to do with. If the majority of our country was Christian, uh, we wouldn't see the epidemic drug problem destroying families and lives. Yet many in every one of those areas that is an offense to God would claim to be a follower of Christ. You know, we think of the abortion issue. There, there are some abortion doctors that will... Uh, uh, say all day until they're blue in the face that they're believers in Christ. There have been some that have interviewed and said uh, they viewed it as their ministry to abort babies. The enemy is at work. The enemy is at work deceiving. The enemy is at work deceiving people uh, between what is genuine follower of God, what is a genuine believer, what is genuine godliness, and what's a counterfeit. You know, Paul tells us in the last days that there will be those that have a, a form of godliness and deny his power. You know, it's interesting, uh, none of those that are front runners uh, uh, in the Democratic Party, uh, not to be overly political, but none of them are open atheist. Uh, most of them all of them that I'm aware of, with exception of maybe one, claim to be followers of Christ. Now, we look everywhere in our culture and we wonder, well, why is it so bad? It's because the enemy's out there deceiving people. There are people that are self-deceived and deceiving others. He's out there deceiving. And we wonder why churches are so torn apart and divided. Is it because he is working in the midst, turning us against one another? Because one of his greatest victories is when uh, believers uh, come to blows against each other, when they think uh, each other as the enemy. You know, when you start thinking that your brother and sister in Christ is your worst enemy, the enemy's winning that battle. He is the enemy. You know, Paul reminds us, and we'll look at this later on in the series in Ephesians 6, we do not wage war against flesh and blood. Now sometimes it can feel like your family member that's ambivalent to Christianity or that family member that's hard to get along with is your enemy or a co-worker is your enemy or somebody in the church that you disagree with is your enemy. They're not your enemy. The, the worst person that you will ever come across in the world, at the very most, they're a captive. And author Hebrews says uh, that it's, we're, we're held in slavery to the enemy. The enemy's just uh, blinded people in thinking they're free when they're not. And so we've seen uh, the enemy's going to undermine God's plan. He's going to try. He's going to fail. But he's been doing that from the beginning. He, he's not perfect in his knowledge. Only God is. God knows uh, that he's a defeated enemy. And he was, his defeat was made clear at Calvary. You know, when we ever doubt the defeat of the enemy, we look at Calvary. But that should no means make us think he's not dangerous. The enemy's dangerous. But he is defeated because God is greater and his victory is guaranteed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, uh, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, and I pray that as uh, we move into the next part of our uh, service with a business meeting, uh, that you would give us wisdom and insight in how to be about your work in Harrodsburg and Mercer County and beyond. For this we pray in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Like I said this morning, uh, third string uh, moderator.